When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hot Body Dawson, pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? This is the beginning of the Sir Alf Ramsey Odyssey. Long threatened, we now deliver. Um, it's Alf Ramsey, Sir Alf Ramsey, sorry. Uh, of course, the man who won the World Cup for England in 1966 but is probably most famous for his short tenure as caretaker manager of Melchester Rovers in uh, early 1982 after Roy Race was shot in the hair um, and on the on the back of that um, a biography was written all about him um, fucking hell you know what I haven't got a copy of the book in front of me Leo McKistry I think is the author um, you know we can't oh, really we better double check that, or the, we, we, the, we can't the, really McKist- start the McKistry this. Empire Leo, will be on our Leo back. McKinstry. The least we can do is to give him a name check before we fucking plow through his book for what forty weeks, maybe. Um, Leo McKinstry, yeah, and he's a British oh, journalist, good, good. Uh, born in Belfast. Uh, he's fifty-nine years of age right now, and uh, he has also worked as a columnist in the Daily Mail and the Daily Express. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've all got to make a living, mate. Yeah, no, but Jesus. <laughs> There's lines that you don't cross. Um, yeah. Also, he also often writes about issues relating to immigration and the European Union being a strong supporter of Brexit. He's a strong supporter of Brexit, did it say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we'll see then. We'll see what this book's all about. There are um, three things I love. Alf Ramsey... <laughs> Brexit and sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the three things that I live by. And I have passed down to my children and they shall pass down to theirs. <laughs> yeah. I am Leo McElstree. <laughs> oh, no, we shouldn't slag him off. We're about to fucking make a load of content off the I back mean, of his hard work. So. I- I'm working backwards through his um, through his biography here on Wikipedia. In the early nineties, he was a Labour councillor in Islington, and he worked as a, and he worked as a parliamentary aide to Harriet Harman. So, so did I. That's so weird. Worked with him, Leo McKinstry. Leo, you know, remember Leo? Big Leo. Yeah. No, not that Leo. Brexit Leo. 
<laughs> I thought he was joking when we used to get pissed in the strangers bar and he'd start ranting after a couple of whiskeys he'd start ranting and raining about the EU and how they were going to make us straighten our bananas and I was like oh, you're off your nut aren't you he must have been joking turns out he couldn't have been more serious yeah because it doesn't say what years he worked there does it, uh, it early 90s it says that's I mean, when I fucking I worked oh, yeah. there 93, yeah, 94 it, he lost his seat on Islington Council in 94. Um, he was working for Labour frontbencher Doug Henderson, Doug Henderson the following year when he announced that he no longer supported the party. Uh, oh, this entire fucking episode's going to be about Leo McKinstry, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, it says that 1990s was a Labour councillor and worked as a parliamentary aide to Harriet Harman. So Maybe it was just before go. I started. I mean, I, I was just there... F- I was only there for like a year, less than a year, really. Yeah, just under your, a year. Your paths might have briefly crossed, but here's his bibliography. He started doing the doing the books a few years later. Uh, he did in nineteen ninety six. He wrote a book. Um, a former Labour activist asks, "Can Tony Blair's party be trusted to run Britain?" <laughs> in nineteen ninety six, the year before they were elected, um, that fell on deaf well, ears. If, if you're like, if if he's from Islington. You know, that has the strong whiff of one of these uh, posh Corbyn Easters. Yeah. That you get yeah. Labour supporters in Islington, you know the well, that, fucking that, score with that lot. The, the Tories always chuck that at them, though, don't they? They, they call them the yeah. Islington elite and all that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's fucking true. All right. Right <laughs> on. <laughs> and then he wrote Boykes, the true story, which I guess is about Jeff Boycott. Uh, and then Jack and Bobby, a story of brothers in conflict. And then now he that, wrote, that is where make a note of that one for future deep dive material. Yeah, and then he wrote a book about um, the Earl of Rosebery, who was the uh, uh, Prime Minister from eighteen ninety four to eighteen ninety five. Bit niche. That must have been a passion project. Um, and then he did the Sir Alf book. Obviously, didn't make any money from the Rosebery one, so he went for a big hit with the Sir Alf book. In 2006, then a book about the Spitfire, and then a book about the Lancaster, and then a book about the Hurricane. So he was fucking... That's his bomber trilogy that he did. 2007 to 2010. And then 2011, Jack Hobbs, England's greatest cricketer. And he hasn't done any books since. So I don't know where he is Interesting, isn't it? It all sort of fits together, I think. Bombers bombers from the war. Brexit. Out Ramsey. Yeah. Boycott. He's currently writing a biography of the sausage <laughs> called The Secret History of Sausages. We'll get there first before it's published. We'll do our sausage odyssey. A lot He's, of people uh, think that sausages were invented by Germans. They are wrong! That's the opening <laughs> line of the book. <laughs> they were invented by the English or possibly the Chinese. He's, uh, I think he's, he's done all right. He, like I say, he's 59. He's married and lives in Kent, and Provence, so you know. Oh, that sounds lovely. Maybe, maybe he doesn't need to work all that much. Age that sounds lovely. The Kent the dream, countryside and yeah. Provence. What a life! Writing his Hopping books. Hopping over to Provence. Oh, that's the life for me, mate. Hopping over to Provence. Did you see the um, the ITV documentary that was on recently about Ronnie Corbett's secret videotapes? That sounds seedier than it actually was. Yeah, no, go on. <laughs> it was it was a lot of Ronnie Corbett's like home movies, and his family mm. talking about them and stuff like that, and it was lovely. And there was this big holiday that he had in Provence, 
1989. And there was loads of footage of them larking about in the pool and all sort of, and having a great big fucking feed up and all that sort of thing. And Robbie yeah. Williams was one of the talking heads on it. And I know you were talking about how you'd met Robbie Williams briefly that time. Yeah. Um, and, and he got in Robbie, my car. It, yeah, Robbie was just saying it's, it's great how how uh, what what stays with you is that he came from nothing, Ronnie Corbett, because he was just a baker's son in Edinburgh. He didn't have mm. any showbiz lineage it came from nothing and he and he worked all his way up and he had that success and he was able to have holiday like that that's kind of robbie's story as well you know what i mean deep down yeah. robbie is still he's thinking that's impressed. like me but yeah i've been to france i've been to france myself three <laughs> times uh never provence uh i went once to dieppe that was more of just a booze cruise we were there and back in a day um, I went with uh, with Jason Orange. Actually, we had a good good day out. Um, once Normandy, that was to just look at um, some stuff to do with the war, and that was a school trip actually. And another time to Paris, where I had to sing some songs <laughs> for a job. So, in in a sense, none of them were proper holiday like the one Ronnie went on. But one day, I might. I do have a little savings account that I squirrel away money for holidays. Just finding the time's the issue. But yeah, I'll tell you what it, I did it, once, mate. Have you heard what? of the book? Uh, it was really famous in the, I guess, the 80s or early 90s, mm. A Year in Provence by mm. Peter Mayle. Yeah, it took a turn so, into a TV so series, Pete, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, a re- it was like a fucking massive bestseller. Mm. And, like, you know, since then... Those kind of books have become very common, but I think it was sort of like sparked a genre of, uh, you mm. know, what I call the smug cunt genre. Uh, yeah. And I don't mean that in a in a harsh way, but because, you know, it's what we intend to be when we've got our rigs in Mallorca, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, but, you know, inspiring people like us by saying, do you know what? I was doing a fucking normal job in rainy old England surrounded by cunts and pollution, and then I just fucked it all off and went to the sunshine, yeah. right? And so, but, but that bloke Peter Mayle, he was what the job that he jacked in was the uh, in advertising. He was a big shot in advertising, right? And so when I wrote my book about um, uh, advertising, the, you know, mm. get smashed, went to interview him. No, I interviewed him on the phone for the first book, but then it got the book got turned into a documentary for Sky Atlantic. So um, I went over to interview him on camera for that mm. in Provence, in his Provençal rig, years after he'd written <clears> the book. Yeah. And since then, he'd got, like, made loads of money because the book had been adapted in so many languages and all of that. Yeah. Fuck me, mate. Him and his <laughs> missus, like, they'd, they'd run away with each other. It was a bit of a, a mad romance where they'd all sort right. of fallen in love and I think they might have both been with other people. And they've right. just gone, fuck it, let's move to Provence. And I think they sort of literally told their other halves as they were sort oh of leaving. Oh, my God. So that's Jesus a bit... Christ. I think, I'm not sure about that. So actually, I shouldn't have said it. But they were a lovely couple, elderly now. I think they'd moved there when they were, like, maybe 40s, something mm. like that. But now, like, you know, they were just they were just fucking living the dream. And it was yeah. the house from fucking you and Provence that they'd built <clears> up and up and up. And it was fucking rigged out to perfection. When I got mm. there, they had only just had a lift installed in preparation for their old age, which I thought, oh, again, right. fucking yeah. ge- genius logistics. Good they logistics. must have had Dawson yeah. in. They must have had Dawson over yeah. doing a bit of consultancy. <laughs> right, first stop, 
how you gonna how you plan on getting up those fucking stairs when you're old and shit in your pants? <laughs> you're gonna want a lift in there. <laughs> I'm not here to talk about now. I'm here to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if you were a consultant to Peter Mayle. <laughs> Peter Mayle, the famous author of Year in Provence, has hired the podcaster <laughs> Andy Dawson as his head of logistics. He was recommended to by Julian Fellows. <laughs> In a statement, Dawson said, I'll be going over there maximum once a month, plus there'll be various phone calls and possible Zoom chats. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be getting started with. <laughs> and I'm not flitting backwards and forwards across the fucking Atlantic or whatever it's called all the time. <laughs> I've got the time, I've got podcasting to do. Um, yeah, but it was mm. fucking great. He had such a great house. They were so nice. And um, at the time I was still drinking. And he said, <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a glass of wine, shall we? It was fucking 11 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and his missus went oh Peter come on it's a bit early and it's he five went, o'clock somewhere <laughs> no he was like this is France I've been yeah. up since six in, <laughs> in Provence the farmers are up at very early in the morning so eleven o'clock is way past drinking time <laughs> if we I was a postman I'd be drinking by now <laughs> uh, yeah exactly jalapeño One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Jalapeño. We retired to his amazing office which is like mm. the office I've always dreamt of having because it was just like fucking huge and decked out really nice mm. and uh, he said to me at one point it was like this hey have a look at this do you know what this is and he showed me this little badge right pin badge and mm. I don't know what's that he goes it's the fucking Legion Donair isn't it right and I, go, and I go fucking hell what's that he goes that's basically the French equivalent of being knighted he goes, only it's better than being knighted, right? He goes, because, like, I'll fucking... If I want to go to a restaurant in Paris or something, he goes, like, an yeah. impossible to fucking flash book that, place. Yeah. Flash that. He goes, if you fucking rock off. up... He, he's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was sort of like this. He's obviously got mates who've been knighted, yeah, back in England. He's like, oh, cunts, yeah, fine. Because he's like mates with Ridley Scott, for instance. Because Ridley yeah, Scott's yeah. got a rig down there in the south of France. He's got a vineyard. They've all got fucking vineyards. And he's like, yeah, Ridley, he got a knighthood. Good, good luck to him. I was delighted. End of the day, though, knighthoods are a bit ten a penny now. You turn up in a flash restaurant in England and you say, oh, I'm Sir Ridley Scott. They go, don't care what your fucking name is, mate. Tables booked. Legion d'honneur has a different cachet in France. Yeah. Doors fucking wide, open wide. Better right? doors. <laughs> Better fucking doors as well. <laughs> open wider. 10% off in any Café Rouge, right? 
And Before they, eleven a.m. The in France, there's Cafe Rouge fucking everywhere. <laughs> like I McDonald's. eat Cafe Rouge every day, sometimes twice. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> why, why would I pay ten percent more in another place? It's probably not even as good. They've got everything there, whatever you want. You can have a steak. You can have a salad. You can have pasta. If you've got kiddies with you, they've got a smashing kiddies menu. And if you have a breakfast, they do you an omelette. This, 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 you go over with the kiddies, right? You sit down and they come straight over with a sheet of paper. We'll colour it in. And some pencils that you can take home with you afterwards. You don't uh, ask for crayons. crayons are good because they're non-toxic. And uh, I sometimes take my grandchildren. One of them's, well, I don't know what the PC term is nowadays. But let's just say he's a bit daft. And uh, he will eat them. He'll eat the crayons as soon as look at them. So it's good. I've checked it out, mate. You have the non-toxic sort. That's <laughs> all in the clear. <laughs> so I say, fine. Saves me some money. He eats the crayons. I don't have to buy him any chips. <laughs> That's more That's money saved. That's how you get an house like mine in Provence. You look after the pennies, the pounds look after themselves. <laughs> I'm fucking thinking the whole time. A lot of people write a fucking bestseller, get their legion done air and just think, fuck it, that's me done. But it's not. The money runs out dead quick unless you're fucking watching little things like this. Feed you, If you've got a daft grandson, fine, feed him crayons. They come free. You've saved yourself five francs. <laughs> so he's got this legion d'honneur, whatever it's called. That was it, really. I mean, we and were just in his office. I just remember what, having a... Was, he got it because the book was such a huge fucking hit all around the so world. Like services to tourism sort of thing. They calculated that he had single-handedly yeah. made the French tourism industry <laughs> like tens of millions of pounds. It kept France Just, afloat single-handedly. Yeah, they, that's what they were like. They were like, it's absolutely fucking up off the fucking scale, yeah. the amount of tourism he attracted to the country just by knocking out one book. And you got to hand it to him because he, like, I mean, he did, he obviously had money. He was, I was one of these say, guys. Yeah, let's 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 be honest here. Not everyone can just do a flip to France no, or Mallorca. That's true. And just that, start again. That, that's true. But especially in those days, mm. I would say that these days our dream is more real because the truth is, is that the way that people work, especially if you're lucky enough to be a podcaster, <laughs> right? But like, but so lucky. any job, you know, it's more plausible. But back then. Fucking, you know, if you if you imagine what communications were still like, even in the eight, late eighties when he would have moved there, it was fucking balmy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't carry on. You're totally cutting yourself off, even going as far as France. So he did have money, but he did, you know, like a lot of the guys that I wrote about, they were all like working class kids. <clears throat> it was that generation of Ridley Scott, Alan Parker, and him. They were working class kids, and they like, yeah. they had they had no qualifications, most of them, and they worked their way up. And he was one of them and worked his way out. He was like in his fucking 20s and earning like a, an obscene sum of money in the ad industry driving around in a Porsche. And this, then he just thought... This, 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 I was going to say, this was something that I noticed. I, I, I haven't done a lot of work in ad agencies, but I did a bit around the time when the mm. Diana and Heaven thing was big on Twitter and I got some work doing social yeah. media and stuff like that. And I, 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 I was around ad industries. And that really, really struck me that a lot of the management figures... Were work, I mean, they were predominantly fellas, but they were working-class yeah. fellas, and they all had working-class accents. So they'd also yeah. come up through the industry, and they got in in a way that doesn't happen now quite so much. Well, it was, it was a meritocracy. That was the thing, because yeah. you were as good as your ideas. That was it. But now advertising's not like that. I don't think it is. I mean, if you go into ad agencies now, I think, on the whole, they are like posh people. 
not posh, but you know, like middle class sort of people on mm. the whole. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the, in those old days when my dad worked in it and and my uncles, it was like that they what what it what happened was it had been posh before the war, but then after the war, when the economy changed and teenagers and young people spending money, the the clients, the big businesses, worked out that in order to communicate with young people or yeah. ordinary folk, you needed to fucking we speak to and get think ordinary like ordinary people. folk. Was, didn't you say Alan Parker was one of the first ones? Alan like Parker that. was the the number one Pioneer. best one of all of them. He was the most. Yeah. He was the best. He was the most successful. He he wrote all the best ads, and then he became a director, and he directed all the best ads, and then he thought, "Fuck that! I'm going to go and make films instead." But he was like, and his dad worked on the railways, you know, mm. and uh, you know the Scott brothers were from up your neck of the woods, yeah, and all of them, you know. My dad and my uncles all lived on a council estate in Stanmore, but they all fucking. They all basically, you, you got rewarded for having, like, being able to speak in a colloquial way and write in a colloquial way and mm. have a sort of a humour that was, like, down to earth and, and ordinary. And if you look at the ads of those times, where it was like the Smash Martians or fucking all those bird's eyes <laughs> or anything. They, they were all rich in that kind of, like, earthy yeah. humour. And that's what worked. <clears throat> but then it changed because brands became huge and they wanted to make ads that were global so colloquial humour and earthiness was actually the last thing you wanted you wanted stuff that was very generic and universal and you know basically bland so that all went out the window but um, in those days there were funny ads you know there were ads with the two Ronnies in for example that were really fucking funny do you remember those ads Mm. they did for uh, Avis yeah yeah where they talked like that yeah fucking hell Uh, but anyway so he was one of those guys, and then he fucked off. And if we t- if we set aside the fact that he'd probably banked loads of fucking dough from his ad career, which put him in an advantage, what he did think was, right, I'm here, what can I fucking do? I'm still only in my 40s. What can I fucking do to pass the time and try and make some money because this money won't last forever? Maybe I'll just fucking write a book about what I've done. Mm-hmm. And you, you wouldn't have fucking staked the ass on it, would you? But he thought, I'll just write a book basically mm. a diary of my first fucking year having moved here and how fucking confusing and weird it is to move to another country yeah he's written it thought give that a go see if anyone's interested bang it's a fucking world bestseller sets you up for life mm. Jamie Cunt so how did we get to that oh yeah Ronnie Corbett his holiday in Provence yeah just <laughs> about Provence it's a lovely place uh, um, yeah they just got me thinking the first time that I was in a studio with you was the day Ronnie Corbett died <laughs> I was meant to be in. I'd, I'd just recorded a Mince episode in London and I dashed across the talk radio and I was going to do a get in the sea roundup of things that had annoyed me that week. Yeah, that was and your regular That was a regular slut. thing I was doing. I was doing <laughs> that over the phone. to talk about things that annoy him. Here's <laughs> this man from the North East. And then uh, Ronnie Corbett died. And we ended up doing an impromptu. Yeah, that was good. You were good that was lucky for me that I had you in the studio for that because uh, finding... People who to to eulogise about Ronnie Corbett, well, I wouldn't say it wasn't easy. Loads of people want to eulogise about him, but you know, you're a suitable guest. Mm. But yeah, that that Ronnie Corbett thing. It's on better the than when I Hall. asked my mate, the editor of Empire, Terry, who you know. Yeah. She was in just to do, talk about movie roundups, and there was some breaking news about a terrorist attack in London. I can't remember which one. And we were doing a particular, or it wasn't brain news, we were doing a story about radicalisation of young Muslims mm. in the UK and how much of a problem it was. And 
she had got she had arrived early and was just sitting in the studio and my and I introduced the subject and the phone line to the guest went down this this guy who's an expert on it, uh radicalization yeah and so <laughs> I turned to her who I've known for like whatever 20 years Terry I turned to her and she'd just come and she had like three blockbuster films to review and I don't know what came over me but I said oh he's fallen out well we've got Terry Wright here from Empire Terry what do you think about young people being radicalised what can we do in, in his uh, what can we do in Muslim communities to stop to stop this sort of thing and how can we educate them better and she just fuck it I've never received I mean you know Terry's a formidable person who I you know I don't like to cross and she just fucking the look she gave me as the words were coming out of my mouth. I've never been. I've never had a look like it. But once I started, I, mean, I couldn't stop. Yeah, I couldn't I end the question. Go, I don't actually don't worry about it. I'd asked her, so she had to fucking answer. Yeah. but she's never I mean, forgiven fair, me. Fair I don't think. Or, yeah, she answered. Yeah. I would have just gone. Don't know, Fuck so. off. <laughs> Shut up! Don't be stupid. <laughs> Put some adverts on. I don't know. Yeah, can't you play a song? Oh, God. <laughs> it's not a music station play <laughs> one anyway God, fucking hell but yeah that Roddy Corbett thing I'll be in the ITV hub have a look and there was also a Markham and Wise one with a, a, a previously undiscovered episode and I had loads of clips from that on that's on ITV as well so I just thought I'd mention that uh, why Why did I mention that what were we talking about we were talking about Leo McKinnistry weren't oh, we oh it was the it was the author he lives between Provence and Kent He's living the fucking yeah. dream. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if, yeah. He, if he ever comes across this, I would say, look, mate, we've had a few digs at you, which are unfair, but you're the fucking one really laughing here because you're living between Kent and um, Provence and we're not. Yeah. Um, there's a few links to other things that he wrote as well, and he, he, he vents his spleen uh, about Labour 17 years on in the Islington Tribune or something like that. Fucking hell. So that's Le- Leo I worked for Labour once, but I don't anymore. And I hate them because they got elected and didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do. <laughs> I wanted there to be a minister of sausages, but they said they didn't want that. <laughs> I thought that was the most important thing, to reach out to the working classes. But they said no. They wanted minimum wage first. I said, well, I have lived yes. in these communities, or at least I've lived close to them and observed them, and I've seen them eat their sausages. It's all they think about. Their Without a policy was, on sausages, had... you would never win their hearts or minds. If if we had minimum wage, then people could afford more sausages. But I thought that I was quite ass about it. I thought <laughs> if you get the sausages right, people will come and buy them anyway, no matter how much money they've got. I even had but a I... slogan. It was this, sausages, sausages, sausages. And I said we should run the election campaign on it. And they threw me out. Well, I'm the one <laughs> laughing now. <laughs> because the Tories, the Tories have been in charge in. for 13 years and I'm glad <laughs> because it proves me right and that's the most important thing <laughs> yeah well so, that is politics uh, do you know what politics is sorry just so we haven't got to have but that's, well, this go has just occurred to me but go politics on. is actually well, if you observe what goes on in politics um, mm. the politicians themselves but to an even greater degree the fucking idiots who fucking waste their time 
fucking commenting and shouting from the fucking cheap seats, right, on Twitter and everywhere else. <laughs> Politics is supposed to be a process by which we come to decisions that are the collective good. And, of course, there are different opinions. So you might have Labour, Tory, left, right, green, whatever, right? But the whole point is we're all engaged in an exercise to come to some sort of compromise that leads mm. to the best sort of collective good that is achievable. But actually what politics is now is loads of individuals basically who whose priority is is to be proven right. Yeah. And that's a yeah, very that's different is, thing. That's a very different that. thing to trying to find a solution. Trying to find a solution is almost mm. completely opposed to being obsessed with being right. It's like you want to find a solution. So yeah. you understand that there is a purity to what you want that you are necessarily going to have to dilute to get somewhere where we can actually get something done. And you have to accept that. But or if you look at any fucking political debate, what people care about more than anything else is them personally, egotistically being proven right. That's why you get so many fucking of these like Labour people who who almost who revel in Tories winning. Right. Because mm. they think. Well, that proves me right. I was right yeah. about what Labour should stand for. And now the yeah. Tories have got in. Ha, good, I'm right. Everyone cares only about being perceived Th- as being position. right. Yeah. And everyone should stop giving a shit about whether they're right about something. I mean, we yeah. don't care if we're right about anything. We assume we're wrong. Doesn't matter. Let go of it. <laughs> we forget Let everything we go. say off an hour later on. Yeah, you're, you're holding yourself and everyone else back by giving a shit about how you are, if you are perceived at being right. I'm right because, you see, I'm clever. It's so <laughs> Lampardy, isn't it? Because Completely. now perhaps everyone will finally acknowledge how clever I am. Yeah. That's politics. Yeah, narcissism. Mm. Um, right. Okay. Um, that's the end of the first episode of the Sir Ralph Ramsey Odyssey. We have completely failed to touch upon the book other than to briefly mention its author and some of his other works. Uh, a bit of background. We could have really predicted it would go this way, I suppose, but there you are. Like I well, said, look, like, this, like is we just to loosen, this is to loosen the audience up, you yeah, see, yeah, warm yeah, them up. Yeah, yeah. There's the, like we obviously, there's no rush. What's the hurry? We, yeah, we've got forever. We've um, lubed you, and in episode yeah. two, Next we week, will penetrate you. We're going in. <laughs> so that's it thanks a lot we'll be back with part two next week and hopefully we'll like uh, mention some of the book uh, goodbye pip pip deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 